I don't know if we ever told y'all this or not, but our old house was haunted. It may have been the proximity of the park, I, I don't know, but it was haunted. Now, we never saw blood running down the walls or heard strange voices telling us to get out, but the house was haunted nonetheless. As best we could tell, there were at least two ghosts who lived there all the time. Their names were not me, and I don't know. These two, ghosts, these two ghosts were responsible for virtually everything that happened and every mess that was made at the house. If someone left a glass of milk in the living room and we asked, who left this glass of milk in the living room? We were told, not me, I don't know. Not me and I don't know left the refrigerator door open. They spilled sugar on the counter. They dropped trash in the floor near the trash can, but not in the trash can. They would also put bread or waffles in the toaster, toast them, but never eat them. It got so bad we considered sprinkling the house with holy water if Baptists had holy water. Not me and I don't know were also visited occasionally by a cousin named Wyme. Wyme didn't like putting the dishes in the dishwasher or putting dishes in the dishwasher up. Wyme didn't like taking the trash around, taking, picking dirty clothes up or putting clean clothes up. Wyme didn't like t- picking up the stuff lying around the living room. Truth be told, Wyme didn't like doing anything Wyme didn't want to do. Now, probably we aren't the only ones whose house has been visited by I don't know, not me, and why me. You know, I was thinking about it this week, and it's one thing for I don't know, not me, and why me to visit the house during cleaning time. But it's something worse when they visit us when it comes time to meet spiritual needs. For example, we'll see someone that has a great spiritual need, and we'll acknowledge it. Man, that person needs help. And then a question that will arise from that is, well, who's going to help them? Who's going to meet that spiritual need? I mean, and if we're honest, just ruthless honesty in all of our lives, at times we say, I don't know, but not me. Or, Or perhaps a person with a great spiritual need comes to us for help. And they've asked us particularly for help, and we can't get away from it. And in that moment, our, our response, at least inwardly, if not outwardly, is, why me? Can anyone else relate to these visits when it comes to trying to meet spiritual needs of those around us? Often we try to justify these visits and our reluctance or flat out refusal to meet spiritual needs. But are there justifications for the visits of I don't know? Not me and why me? Are they valid? We're going to see the answer to this in our passage. Open your Bible to Mark 9, verse 14 is where we're going to start. Page 769. When you find that, I'm actually going to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Verse 14 says, And when they came back to the other disciples, they saw... A large crowd around them and subscribes arguing with them immediately when the crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running to meet him. And he asked them, what are you disputing with them on the way? What are you disputing with them? And one person from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son because he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and becomes stiff. And I told your disciples that they would cast it out, but they could not do it. And he answered them and he said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? 
Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to meet Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, the spirit immediately threw him into convulsions. And following to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help. And Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes immediately. The boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into convulsions, it came out, came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand. When he raised him up, he got up. And when he came to the house, his disciples began asking him privately, why is it that we could not cast him out? And Jesus said, this kind cannot come out by anything except prayer. Title of the message this morning is meeting spiritual needs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we want our lives to bring you glory and honor in all we say and all we do. We want, Father, to live the way that you would have us to live and do the things that you would have us to do. That's why we're out on a day like today. Father, we've not come out on a cold, windy, snowy day just to check a box or to say we've gone to church. Father, we have a desire to meet with the living God have Him work in us and through us and for us to make us ever more like Jesus. So do it today, O oh God. Let Your Holy Spirit come. Let Him take the Word and make it living and active in our lives to convict us where we need convicting, to challenge us where we need challenging, to encourage us where we need encouraging, and to strengthen us where we need strengthening. Father, let Your Holy Spirit come and take this Word and just show us, Lord, how we ought to, to live and what is possible, what we can do because of Christ who lives in us. Fill me this morning with the Holy Spirit. Let Him give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. And I would speak Your words and Your ways for Your glory. Have Your way in all of our hearts, we ask in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. Immediately upon coming down, Jesus is met with a multitude of people and conflict. The conflict surrounds a man who had a great spiritual need. We see in verse 17 and 20 and 25, he had a son. And his son had an unclean spirit who brought many physical problems into his life. The son had seizures. The son or the, the spirit kept him from speaking. And the Spirit had led the Son to attempt killing Himself by throwing Him into the fire and into a body of water. And these things combined caused the Son to suffer greatly. We see from verse 21, this had been going on since the boy was a child. If you're a parent, you can imagine how distraught the dad must have been. There were no meds, there was no hope, there was no help for his son. And so he, he did the only thing he knew to do. He, he brought him to Jesus. Now... This dad and his son, they had physical and spiritual needs. But the spiritual need was the, the root cause of the physical needs. And as we begin to, to see the spiritual needs of the world around us, and we work to meet them, we're going to often find that the physical needs people have are the result of deeper spiritual needs going on in their lives. We are surrounded 
by all manner of people who have all manner of spiritual needs. Some people are enslaved to sin. And they are captured by it and they can't get out of it. And they think that that their life of sin is a life of freedom, but their every act of sin is is merely an act of slavery. It is a declaration that they are slaves to sin. And their every act of sin just makes the hold that sin has upon them greater. Others are, are deceived by the devil. They have embraced his lies about what is right and what is true and what it means to be saved and who God is and, and what God is like. And, and they've embraced a variety of non-Christ-centered spiritualities or religions that are keeping them from knowing the one true God and the salvation that Jesus offers. And still others are crushed by the cares of life. Life is hard. It's beating them down. And they are what... They are just feeling crushed and they're unable to get out from underneath the the burden that they carry in their life. And with these people, they are, as Jesus said in Matthew 11, they are weary and burdened. They feel like they can't take another step. They feel like they're being crushed by all of these things and they're about to be just completely destroyed by them. And, And they're all around us. It's not... Just one or two people here or there. It is just literally hundreds and thousands of people, even in our community. And at this point, it would be easy for us to say, well, sure, that's bad. But that's not my responsibility. My responsibility, it begins and it ends with me and with mine. I've heard many well-reasoned arguments To make the case for this sort of mindset that we should just mind our own business. We shouldn't get involved in things that don't that aren't our particular problems. And and if I'm being just ruthlessly honest, that's the mindset I would rather have myself. I mean, I am basically an introverted person. While some folks like my wife are naturally outgoing and stride up conversations with strangers easily. I am not that way. It does not bother me to talk to people I already know. And it doesn't bother me to talk to to new people who probably instigate the conversation. But striking up a conversation with a stranger is well outside of my comfort zone. At the same time, I am a very private person. I am not a... Let's sit around and share our feelings and hug it out and sing Kumbaya kind of a person. That, that, is, that does not bring me feelings of peace and comfort and warm fuzzies. That, just the thought of that makes me want to jump out of my skin. And these two things work together in me to make it hard for me to approach someone, particularly someone I do not know, and begin to try to help them with their spiritual needs. Now, if someone comes to me, And they ask for my help. Man, I'm all in. I will absolutely do anything I can. I will make myself available to anyone who comes to me. Friends, family, church members, just random people off the streets. It is no problem for me to listen, to pray with people, to give advice, to do what I can to help. It's the initiating the contact part. It's hard for me. And it would be easy for me. And I would like to say. Well, I'm just not wired to be able to start the conversation. 
to help those who have spiritual needs. And it would be easy, and I would like to say, since I'm not wired that way, God only intends for me to worry about me and mine unless somebody comes to me. Now, if you're basically an introverted person, you probably know what I'm talking about. You probably feel that way as well. And if this is you, and as I've said, it's me, this passage teaches us a key principle that we must understand. Jesus intends to work through me to meet spiritual needs. Now, normally, when I use the key point, I try to use us rather than me. Our, our culture is way too individualistic, and so we don't need more things to tell us to focus on us as individuals. We need more things to tell us we're a community, and we ought to work on them together. But, but in this case, I felt it needed to be me. Because if we were to just say, Jesus intends to work through us to meet spiritual needs, what we would be tempted to do would be to alleviate individual responsibility and say something like, yes, our church should meet the spiritual needs of the people around us. But by doing that, we're taking it off of us as an individual. So if you're a note taker, write it down. Write this down and make me in great big bold letters. Circle it. Highlight it. Make sure that when you look at that truth, you realize it's not just us, but it's you. It's me. We as individuals. Jesus intends to work through me. Jesus intends to work through you to meet the spiritual needs of the world around us. We have a responsibility as individual disciples of Jesus to do what we can do through the power of Jesus. To meet spiritual needs of those around us. This, that is exactly what we see in this passage. So look at verse 17. Person from the crowd answers, Teacher, I brought to you my son because he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, slams him to the ground, he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and becomes stiff. I told your disciples they would cast it out, but they could not do it. This man had a great spiritual need and he believed Jesus could help. But Jesus wasn't there. And so he found disciples of Jesus and he expected that those who knew Jesus, they could help meet this spiritual need. And the lesson I think we should learn is that the world around us, many people often believe Jesus can meet the spiritual needs they have. And they also expect us to be able to help. When people come to us, for help with spiritual needs. They aren't so much asking for our help. As they're asking for Jesus' help. They come to us. Not because of us. But because we know Jesus. And they don't. And they believe. That we can secure Jesus' help. Where they cannot. Now some will respond to this. By saying the expectation of others. Is not the standard we're to live by. And that is absolutely the truth. However, we notice in this passage, look at verse 19. And he answered them, he being Jesus, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. Who is he calling an unbelieving generation? Who is he saying, how long should I have to be with you and put up with? The disciples. Jesus expected that because they knew him and they had seen him and he had given them authority. We've already covered Jesus gave them authority to do this. 
Jesus expected they could do it through him. Jesus was, in fact, unhappy about their inability to meet this spiritual need. So it's not just the world that thinks we should be able to help them with their spiritual need. It's Jesus as well. The problem is, in the church world today, we have accepted what I guess you would call low expectation Christianity. And in low expectation Christianity, it is normal and it's acceptable for someone to have been saved for several years and still not be able to help others with their spiritual needs. It is normal and acceptable for someone to have been saved for several years and still not know how to lead someone else to Jesus. It's normal and acceptable for someone to have been saved for several years and still not know how to help others deepen their relationship with Christ. It's normal and acceptable to not know how to help others live for Jesus once they get saved. It's normal and acceptable for, for us to not know how to study the Bible with someone. Not to know how to lead someone in prayer and to pray with them. And what's really shameful is we don't accept this low standards in anything else. I mean, I, I think I could go to any of the places where, where y'all work. And I could say, Scott... If you hire a new bank teller tomorrow and you put this new bank teller with someone that's been there for three years, would you have an expectation that they could show them the ropes and how to do it? And if they couldn't, I I expect that there would probably be that would be a problem. Am I correct or am I making things up? I'm sure at Family Dollar, when you hire someone new, you expect that someone that's been there while you can put them there and they would show them how to do what needs to be done. If they couldn't, that would be a problem. It would be that way with a teacher at school, with a realtor, with any job in any area of life. It is expected that someone who has done it for a while can show someone else how to do it. And when they can't, it's a problem. But then when we come here to Christianity, well, that's normal. No, you can't really expect someone that's been saved for 20 years to help someone else develop a thriving relationship with Jesus. That is shameful on our part. That is not the way it should be. I, I, and I just want to share this story, and this is not in my notes, so it's extra, it's a rabbit trail time. Um, but I, I read a book, and the author of the book was talking about when he had gone to churches in, in, the, in the Asian countries and over there, and the children in those churches... They lead ministry time. They lead people to Jesus. They they teach Bible lessons. The children, like seven, eight, nine-year-old kids. And, And it was expected that they could pray with someone at the altar. And they could lead them to Jesus. And he said, meanwhile, we just do flannel graph. And that's all we expect of them is to be able to sit still and and Listen. So it starts young, and by the time they're our age, they're grown. They've never been expected to do anything. But again, 
It's not like that anywhere else in any other part of the world. We can be sure, you can be sure, I can be sure. Jesus intends to work through all of those who are called by his name to meet the spiritual needs of those around them. I mean, the Great Commission is to go and make disciples. There's an explicit command to go and help people with their greatest spiritual need. They're lost and they need to be saved. And then to help them with their spiritual need of growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. As disciples of Jesus, we are expected to do what we can do. To meet the spiritual needs of those around us while we trust in Jesus to work in us and through us and for us to do what we cannot do. I want to show you this in another passage. Turn to Matthew 9. Page 740. Matthew 9, we're going to start in verse 36. This has been last two weeks, not this week, but last two weeks prior to this. We looked at this in Sunday school. And it's really been on my mind in relation to this series. And it gives a good picture of what we're talking about with meeting spiritual needs. So if you look at verse 36, it says, Jesus saw the crowds. And he felt compassion compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Distressed and downcast, very similar to weary and burdened. Like sheep without a shepherd, they were just tossed about, going from one thing to another, trying to find help. Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the laborers are few. And he explains that here's the problem. The spiritual needs of the people around them was greater than the number of people who were working to meet those spiritual needs. Well, what was true then is true now. There are far more spiritual needs in in Guyman and Goodwill and Hooker and Texhoma and to the ends of the earth than there are laborers who are willing to go and meet those spiritual needs to do what they can. So Jesus gives one of the ways that we're to help with this. Verse 38. But plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. In response to the overwhelming need of laborers, we are to pray. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers to go out into his harvest. Part of meeting spiritual needs is praying for God to stir up disciples of Christ to to rise up and to go out and do what they can to meet the spiritual needs. This is something we should pray this on a daily basis. Pray for God to stir us up and send us out. But notice, Jesus doesn't end with telling them to pray for laborers. Look at chapter 10 and verse 1. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples, gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and sickness. I'm not going to read the names in verses 2 through 4, but jump down to verse 5. These 12, Jesus sent out. So here's what he said. Look at the harvest. Look at all these people that have needs. There's nobody to meet it. Pray that God would raise people up and send them out. Also, go. Right there to pray and they are to go. In some ways, they are the answer to their own prayers. We know from Mark's account, they didn't all go as a gaggle of 12 people. Instead, they went out two by two. Right? So he sent 
two over here and two over there and two over here and two over there. And so they were going all over the place to meet those spiritual needs. Well, this is, again, a lesson for us. Like the disciples, we pray for God to raise up labors to send out. But we do so knowing we are in some ways the answer to our own prayer. We are also supposed to be raised up and to be sent out. And he sent them out on their first solo mission. And they were to go out and they were to meet spiritual needs. Verse 7 and 8, it says, As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Now from verses 7 and 8, I want to draw out three principles for meeting spiritual needs that we need to apply to our lives since Jesus intends to work through us to meet spiritual needs. One is actively look for spiritual needs. Before we can do anything about the needs of those around us, we have to see them. Now, to me, this is something, the actively looking part is something that's relatively new to me to understand. I had always thought of seeing needs, spiritual needs around me as something being passive. I just sort of went through my life, and if I saw something, well, then I should go and do what I could do to help it. But what I've come to realize is that's not the picture. The picture is that we are... To actively look, not not just kind of wait for a chance encounter, but to to actively looking for spirit to for opportunities to meet the spiritual needs of those around us. Now, Jesus sends them specifically to preach about the kingdom of heaven coming and, and to do what they could to help others in need. Now, up to this point, they've all gone together, the twelve and Jesus. And so Jesus took the initiative. Jesus would say, hey, or somebody would come to Jesus. And they would say, I need help. And so Jesus would help. Or Jesus would see somebody and he would go to them. But now things are different. Now Jesus has sent them out on their own. And they're not to sort of walk into a community and stand around with their hands in their pockets looking. And being like, well, if somebody comes up, then I guess I'll help them. They're to to go and to look. For opportunities. They're to look for people. And if they see someone who's diseased, they're to pray to heal him. If they see someone who's demonized, they're to pray to set them free. If they see an opportunity, they're to talk to them about the kingdom of God. They are to take the initiative to actively look. Or first, they're to actively look for these opportunities. It's the same is true for us. We should always be actively looking for ways we can help meet the spiritual needs of those around us. Seeing the spiritual needs of those around us should not only happen if we're sort of basically assaulted by the need and can't help but see it. Instead, we should go through our normal lives looking for opportunities to do what we can to help people meet their spiritual needs, trusting Jesus to do what only he could do in that moment. And we do this because Jesus intends to work through us to meet the spiritual needs Of those around us. So we actively look for the needs. But then we take the initiative. To meet the spiritual needs. Jesus told them to go preach. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. And cast out demons. These are all spiritual needs. People that believe wrong things. Need to be taught the truth. Those who were sick needed to be healed. Those who were demonized needed to be set free. They were to go and do what they could do. To help with the spiritual needs they encountered. As I 
jumped ahead of myself in my notes. This was their first solo mission. Jesus wouldn't be there to point and say, go do that. They were to, to go, to look, and to take the initiative and to do it. While we may not be called to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, and to cast out demons, it doesn't mean we're not sent to do something. We are to go to look for the spiritual needs when we see the spiritual needs Take the initiative to do what we can do to help. Again, just because we can't heal the sick or cast out demons doesn't mean we can't do something. If God brings a spiritual need to our eyes, causes us to see it, there's a reason for it. Again, we are where we are by divine design. It's not random chance and circumstance. It is God's divine design so that we can be His instrument to meet that need in that moment. And when God shows us a need, either He intends on us to be the one who meets it, or He wants us to do what we can to get others involved to help it. But both require us to take the initiative. Now, I know... I know if I brought someone and said, hey, we've got this great need from somebody in our community or a great need from somebody in our church. I can promise you our church would rally and everybody would do everything they could. I have seen it in 20 years over and over and over again. When a need is there, we come together as a family. We come together as the body of Christ And we do what needs to be done. And that is beautiful and wonderful. But so often what has to happen is somebody else bring up the need. And what it should be as well is all of us looking. And then all of us taking the initiative to do it. I know everyone in here, those who are watching online, if I were to say there's a need, could you help? The answer would be yes. I have no doubts in my mind about that at all. But in many cases, if I were to do that, some would say, yeah, I saw that, and I just thought maybe something ought to be done, but I didn't know what. And what I'm calling for is to take the next step and say, yes, I saw that, but now I'm going to take the lead in doing it. Maybe maybe it is a need that's too great for any one person to bring it before the church, to say, hey, what can we do to come together to help? But what we often do is we passively wait for the need to arise and to us to be confronted with it. And then we'll do what we can. When what we need to do is be more proactive, less passive, more proactive to see the need. And then in that moment, do what we can to meet it. And we do this because Jesus intends to work through us to meet the spiritual needs of our community. And again, I, I, I truly, I don't want this to be a burden, right? I, I don't, I'm not trying to say, hey, this is more you need to do and less I have to do. I'm not doing that. In my mind, what this is, is this is freedom, right? It doesn't take a pastor to lead someone to Christ. It doesn't take a pastor to pray with someone. 
It doesn't take a pastor to meet a spiritual need. Any spirit-filled disciple of Jesus can meet any spiritual need there is. This isn't saying, oh, do more. This is saying, be who God has saved you to be. Be what Jesus is discipling you to become. There is more for us. More that we are able to do than just sit and listen to sermons. We are all ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we all have His Spirit within us and have the authority and the power and the ability through Him to meet the spiritual needs of those around us. So we actively look for spiritual needs. We take the initiative to meet spiritual needs. And then thirdly, we meet spiritual needs with no strings attached. The last of verse 8, Jesus says, freely you've received, freely give. Right? They weren't to be traveling pay-per-view healers. They weren't to go and make a profit by what they were doing. Jesus had freely given them the authority to heal the sick and to cast out demons. And they were to freely do what they could to help. The principle for us is that when we go out and do what we can do to meet spiritual needs, we shouldn't only do it for those who could pay us back in one way or another. Now, for me, one of the hardest things to do about meeting a spiritual need is to do it freely. And, and, and here's what I mean. I don't like want to charge money. Give me $20 and I'll pray for you. I don't do it like that. But what I want to say is we'll help you if you'll come to church. Now, I can even justify this in my mind because the way I see it, most likely they don't go to any church and they don't know Jesus. And since that really is their biggest need, I'll help with another need if... They'll come to church. Now, my my reasoning for that is so they can hear about Jesus, they can believe in Jesus, and they can be saved by Jesus. There's a there is a pure motive for it. And even when I say it here, it sounds right. It feels right. The only problem is what we see in God's Word. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, the point isn't don't invite them to church. We should. We want them to come so they can hear about Jesus, believe in Jesus, and be saved by Jesus. The point I'm making is don't make that a stipulation for the help that we offer them. We do what we can do to help them simply because that's what Jesus wants us to do. Not so that they'll be indebted to us and do something for us even something that's ultimately good for them, like come to church. We do what we can do to help them because that's what Jesus would do. And we are striving to be like Jesus in our lives. Think about how many people Jesus helped during his earthly ministry. I mean, from people he fed to people he taught to people he healed to people he freed from demonic oppression. It would be I mean, multi-thousands of people. But out of all of those thousands of people he helped, how many people were deeply devoted disciples when the book of Acts begins? Only around 120. 
He didn't help them for what they could do for him. He didn't even help them just so that they would become his disciples, even though that was what was best for them. He helped them because that's what he did. That's who he was. That's the example we're to follow. All disciples of Jesus are meant to do what they can do to meet the spiritual needs of those around us. Our natural wiring can't matter. Not ultimately. Disciples of Jesus are not called to live or do naturally on anything. We are called to live by faith and do things supernaturally. Everything about the life of a disciple of Jesus is supernatural. We believe in a supernatural God who has done supernatural acts to secure our supernatural salvation. And we know about this through a book that he supernaturally inspired and supernaturally preserved for thousands of years. Everything about our life as disciples of Jesus is supernatural. A supernatural spirit revealed our need for a supernatural Savior. And when we believe that supernatural spirit regenerated us and made us a new creature... And we are filled with a spirit who does supernatural things. The some supernatural way Christ lives in our hearts. Our natural wiring cannot be the litmus of what we do. It cannot be the ultimate of our lives. We are something different as born again, spirit filled disciples of Christ. And being something different causes us to live different. And so what we all need to do is is to choose to reject the I don't know, the not me, and the why me mentality. We need to begin to actively look for the spiritual needs in our community as we go out. When we see those needs, we take initiative to meet those needs and then to do it with no strings attached. Just do it because that's what Jesus would want us to do. If you would say you're a disciple of Jesus today, I I want us to take time in this time of response and pray. And as we pray, I want us to pray in in five specific ways. First, give me a mind to, to think, to look for spiritual needs. This one... Is for me, maybe not you. I forget to look. I will leave my house going to Walmart and say, I'm going to look for spiritual needs and do what I can when I'm there. And I'll walk in the door. I mean, you know how far it is from our house to Walmart. I mean, I'm not talking an hour to get there. Two or three minutes, even if I walk. And I will walk in the door and the smell of fresh bread or the thought of something not on my list will hit my mind. And I will be back home before I think to look for spiritual needs. So pray to have a mind to think. Pray to think. That's what I pray. I pray that all the time. God, help me to think and not just act. To think, to look. And then ask God to give us eyes to see spiritual needs. 
I mean, there is a particular way we're supposed to see if we're going to see spiritual needs as a part of the problem people have. Ask God to give us a heart that's compassionate, cares, right? Jesus was moved with compassion often. When he he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. That's who we want to be, Jesus. Gives courage to meet it. And it does. That's going to take courage. Again, if somebody comes, it may not take as much courage. But that initial, if it's us taking the initiative to do it, it's going to take courage. Pray for courage to do it. And then pray for faith to meet the spiritual needs with no strings attached. That we'll just do it because that's what Jesus would do. And not give any conditions. We'll do this if you will in response. I want you to stand. We're going to have a time to pray. If you're a disciple of Christ, spend this time praying those things for your life. Write those down. Pray them regularly. But I also, I want to acknowledge that even disciples of Jesus often have deep spiritual needs. Even those who are devoted disciples of Jesus can struggle against the pull of their sinful nature. And they need the deliverance, the freedom that Jesus can give. Even disciples of Jesus can allow wrong thoughts to come into our minds and we can begin to be deceived by the devil about who God is or or what God is like. And certainly disciples of Jesus can be crushed by the cares of life. So I want to give opportunity also to say if you're a disciple of Jesus and you have deep spiritual needs this morning, there's help for you as well. The message to you is not go and do, but suck it up. The message to you is first come to Jesus. If you're weary and burdened, come to Jesus. If you labor or heavy laden, come to Jesus. Learn from Him. Take his yoke upon you. Find rest for your souls today. All of our service for Jesus, it has to flow out of the work he has already done in our hearts. So if you have deep spiritual needs, don't just leave here thinking, well, I've got to go do more. First, come and find your rest in Jesus. Spend this time and you seek him for you and you find your rest and you find your freedom And you find in Him what your soul longs. And then go out with a passion to serve the great Savior who has done great things in your life. I'm going to pray. The altars will be open if you want to come forward or you can pray where you are. But spend this time praying in one way or another. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and glorious. You're wonderful and worthy. Father, help us today to receive the message. Receive your word. Open our eyes to the great needs around us. Our hearts care. Give us the courage to go and to do. And let us trust you to bring about whatever results need to be done. I pray also, Lord, for those who are here today who may have great spiritual needs themselves. I don't ever want to 
to just add weight upon weight, burden upon burden onto people. There is a Savior who gives rest. There's a Savior who's gentle, kind, caring. He can lift the burden. He can speak the truth. He can set the captives free. Let us all be sure we are resting in Christ. We are abiding in Christ. And everything we do flows out of that. Give rest for the weary today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.